this morning and as they go out and you are seated, I would love for you to open the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5 today. It should be a book that your Bible easily follows open to because since the first Sunday in March, we have been in the book of Ephesians. We've been going through it starting on March 1st and wrapping up on Memorial Day weekend. We were looking at the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians. And as we looked at those first three chapters, we looked at the fact that God has given us riches in Christ. He's given us the ability to be redeemed. He has given us the ability to be purchased by the blood of Christ, to live in Him, to be adopted into His family, and given really all the spiritual blessings that Christ has to offer. It's not something that we earned. It's not something that we deserved. It was something that we are given by God's grace. We are essentially made worthy by God's grace. And that was our first three months of the book of Ephesians. Then the book shifted, so we shifted as well. We moved from the work of Christ in us to the work of Christ through us. From doctrinal to practical. From identity in who we are to responsibility in what we do. And we've been focused really on the second half of the book of Ephesians, chapters 4 through 6. We have focused on our response to all that God did in the first three chapters. It focuses on our relationship with Him. And how in our relationship we are called to walk or live a life worthy. And we took that directly from the first verse of this second half. First verse of chapter 4 where Paul says, Therefore I, a prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling that you've received. To walk worthy. It is a phrase in and of itself that demands action. Demands action. Now this week I was listening to the radio, and uh, I think it was Family Life Radio or something like that, and during the noon hour, they start uh, playing sermons, and it just happened to be on the background, and one of the people that was listening, I don't even know who it was, but he was talking about how Christianity is about a relationship. It's all about a relationship, and then he continued to say, it's not about the do's and the don'ts and the lists that we tend to make, it was about a relationship. And as I saw that, and as I listened to that, and as I was hearing, I have to say I completely and 100% agree with the fact that Christianity is all about a relationship. It's not your typical religion that, that you have to try and earn your God's favor. You don't have to try and, and earn His love. You don't have to try and make God happy in order to get things from Him. But I did have to disagree with the second part. As it said that it's all about a relationship, he said it's not about the do's and don'ts, but I began to think about this. Every relationship you are in has a list of do's and don'ts. It naturally comes with a list of do's and don'ts. What you do and what you don't do. If it's a friendship relationship, there's things you do and there's things you don't do. If it's a dating or a marriage relationship, there's things you do and there's things that you don't do. If it is a relationship at work, with your co-workers or with your boss. There are things you do and there are things that you don't do. What Paul is doing in the second half of the book of Ephesians is he's really walking through the do's and don'ts of our relationship with God. 
He's walking through what we do and what we don't do because of the things that are listed in that first three chapters. This is our response. This week I was following my reading plan. I have the Bible app. I'm not sure if you guys do that. I'm reading through the the Bible in a year. I'm really looking forward to getting out of the Old Testament. I feel like I've been in it for a really long time now, since January. And I'm looking forward to it. But this week was the prophet Hosea. And in the prophet Hosea, I'm reading about the the prophet Hosea. And if you know anything about the prophet Hosea and the book of Hosea, it's a little tough on relationships. It's a little tough on relationships because God commands the prophet Hosea to go and marry a promiscuous woman by the name of Gomer, who is unfaithful in their relationship. You want do's and don'ts being faithful is one of the do's. Even though Hosea himself is by far the best thing she's ever had. She goes back to her old way of life and the lesser relationships, thinking somehow those relationships will provide better for her. Now, the book itself is all about a cycle of judgment and redemption. The do and don't struggle that that we see. It's, It's a picture of God's people doing and not doing things to him over and over and over again. Keep going back to the old lesser idols and lesser gods to try and find something that only the one true God can provide. That's what Hosea is about. Well, if you look at the book of Ephesians, Paul's giving us commands. And and he's giving us and he's urging us to do and really to not to do things in response to the relationship that he, God, has brought us into. And we've said really since chapter 4, verse 17, that It's been Paul's challenge for us to live differently as Christians in the world. Not to be like the world, but to be in the world, but not of it. We we have seen this over and over again. That that we are to be distinct in our desires and our behavior in living in this world. In Ephesians chapter 4, and really beginning of Ephesians chapter 5 that we've been in, Paul gives us a series of specific examples of, of ways in which we are different from the world. He says we're different in the world in the way that we tell the truth. We're different in the world in the way that we handle anger. We're different in the world in our kindness. We're different in who we imitate and in what we imitate. And then he says there are areas of life that are set apart for Christians. We're set apart from those non-Christians. Those who have been renewed by the Lord Jesus should live like it. Changed by the Holy Spirit. Saved unto God our Father. And how we should live because of it. How we should react because of it. And then beginning of Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1. Running down to the verse that we're actually going to end up in today. Verse 21. Paul has now turned those specific areas into how-tos. This is how we do it. This is how we make this walk. And this is how we are different in the world. We said last week and the week before. It's really Christianity 101. Paul being a practical teacher tells us exactly what he's thinking. He doesn't pull punches. He he lays it right out there. He says, as a child of God, imitate God. And you imitate God in the walk as you walk in love. And you aren't who you used to be. You imitate God as you walk in light. Because you once were in darkness, but now you're not. Now you are children of the light of the Lord. You walk in wisdom, as we talked about last week. You make the most of your time. Don't be a fool with your life. The funny thing is, is that each one of these how-tos really builds on the last one. It builds on the last one and tells you how to do the last thing. And today's will build on top of that. As a matter of fact, today's how-to could very well be 
the central theme of walking worthy. It could be the central theme of the book of Ephesians, really, if you really wanted to tie into that. So do me a favor, if you have your Bibles open or your screens have gone to sleep, tap on them. Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to be reading verses 18 through 21 today. This is what it says. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. That is our passage for today, and I'm not sure if you caught it, but right at the very beginning is the theme really for walk worthy, and that is be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. He drops that in there and he tells us, this is how we do it. This is how we walk in wisdom. This is how we walk in light. This is how we walk in love. This is how we respond to who God is. We are filled with the Spirit. But there's something else that he mentions before it that I have to cover today. And some of you may not want me to cover it, but I'm going to talk about it anyway. Because before he gets to the do, he has the don'ts. We see the results of being filled with the Spirit. And in it, we've already mentioned, he gives us a list of do's, but throughout this whole chapter, he says, this is what you do, this is what you don't do. He says, don't live like the Gentile pagans. Live like a follower of Christ. Don't put on the old self, put on the new self. Don't speak in falsehood, speak in truth. Don't steal, work for a living. Don't let unwholesome talk come from your mouth. Do build each other up. Don't walk in the darkness. Do walk in the light. Don't be unwise fools. Be wise. Today's do and don't is a fun one. Because the don't is don't get drunk with wine. Don't get drunk with wine. Yes, it's going to be one of those moments, and I need to preface this for a moment, because since I've been in junior high, I've been a part of a Baptist church. For the most part, we're what we call a conservative Baptist church. I will let you know that conservative Baptist church upbringing has shaped my thinking. The other part of this is, is my mom's side of the family, all of my aunts, all of my uncles, and my grandfather as well, um, were heavy into alcohol and prescription drugs, and sometimes not prescription drugs. So that also shaped the way that I see this. So I preface that because here's the thing. As we look at alcohol abuse, as we look at these things, as I've seen it as a person, as I've seen it as a pastor, as I've seen it even as a police chaplain, there are some things that cause me to say what I'm going to say next. I don't like alcohol. I don't like the effects of alcohol. I don't like the aftermath of alcohol. I think the world will be just fine if alcohol did not exist i just i'm gonna say that now and i i I put this actually in my notes this is my personal opinion if you want to disagree with me i am perfectly okay with that i'm telling you where i have come from i've never understood the the draw of alcohol i truly believe it smells bad i think it tastes bad i think it's a i don't even think i know it's a natural depressant and i've never ever seen alcohol lead to anything good So why do we do it? And I'm going to lay it out. The Bible does not say do not drink. As a matter of fact, unless you've taken some special vow somewhere along the lines, 
That's the only time it says do not drink. It says do not get drunk. Don't let alcohol control you. So I am letting you know that right now. I'm not like up here going, throw it all away and prohibition. You know, we're, I'm not doing that. But what I do want to let you know, growing up again as a conservative Baptist, I heard a whole lot of the don't. If you grew up in church and you sang hymns, you probably heard a whole lot of the don't as the Bible thumping took place up here and I'd be wearing a suit and have my, if I had hair, I'd be parted over, over to the side. And, and, and that would be the way it would come across. And so much so, I, I heard about the don'ts. I even heard things the Bible didn't say about the don'ts. They, they would expand on it. But here's the thing. I didn't hear as much about the do's. I didn't hear that much about the do's, especially in this side of the verse. And that is a problem. Because even as I went over just a couple of minutes ago, all of the do's and all of the don'ts, one of the things we see with Paul is he mentions the do's and he commands us not to do the don'ts, but his focus is more on the do's. It is, this is how we should live. Because if you do this, naturally, you won't do that. So that's why he's challenged us to do it this week. An example from last week. If you make every opportunity in your life to glorify God in all that you do, you won't get caught up in trying to glorify yourself and satisfy yourself. Well, it's the same case here. But the question still remains. Why did Paul put it in? Why did he tie it to don't drink alcohol? Don't get drunk with wine. Excuse me, I, I shouldn't, I need to phrase that properly. Don't get drunk with wine. Why did he put that in and why is it tied in right here? Especially in comparison to being filled with the Spirit. Well, there's two reasons really that I found. And the first one is, is the people that he's writing to is the church at Ephesus. The church at Ephesus has come from a culture that worships the goddess of Diana. And the goddess of Diana had some crazy worship stuff going on. Okay, Uh, some things that we even still see today, but it was some crazy stuff. They had temple prostitutes specifically to aid you in worship. Okay, they would actually get themselves into a drunken frenzy because they believed that it led them to a higher plane so they could understand the God and goddesses better. That was the approach. That's what these people were saved from and saved to become closer to God. They were, they were pulled from that. So he was actually saying, hey, don't fail to realize that drugs and alcohol don't lift you up. They actually dim your senses. They don't help you properly worship. They actually keep you from worship. The second thing is that he mentions actually in the verse. Probably the most clear answer to the question. It's actually right after the comma. And don't get drunk with wine. Why? It leads to reckless living. It leads to reckless living. He just got done telling them, hey, make the most of your time. To be wise. To not be fools. Now, I've always been the straight and narrow kid when it comes to this stuff. I've literally had one sip of alcohol my entire life. I was 17 years old. It was Christmas. My aunt, who liked alcohol a lot, was like, hey, Matt, you need to try red wine with your steak. It'll make it that much better. So I took one sip and was like, you're wrong. Because it's nasty. 
And, and, and that's, that's the only time I've ever done it. Now, because of that, in high school and even into college, I was always the designated driver. My mom owned a minivan. My mom's rule was, don't let them throw up my car. Other than that, I was the driver for everything. And so in that, I have seen plenty of people who are drunk. I've seen plenty of people who are, who are high. I go on police ride-alongs on saturation patrols on Friday nights here in Rio Rancho. My suggestion is to stay off the roads on Friday nights in Rio Rancho because people can't walk a straight line, much less drive one. And, and seeing that and understanding that and seeing this idea of reckless living, I, I get to this thinking of, What's the most common depiction of someone who is wasted or stoned in any movie that you've ever seen? Yeah, they, they make a fool of themselves. That's exactly it. I, I made the mistake of watching Billy Madison the other day because it was on uh, Prime. And I, when I was in high school and college, that was a funny movie. And this time it wasn't quite as funny. I'm like, how dumb is this? What a waste of my time as I sat there and continued to watch it. But he's, he's drunk throughout it. And that's the thing that he struggled. He's always a fool. Any Will Ferrell movie you see, he's always a fool. That's the, the depiction that we get. It's rarely a picture of wisdom. Think about in your own life, an alcoholic or an addict. What's the thing that you see? It's rarely, man, this person's making a wise decision with their life. They've made some wise choices to lead them to this point. I, I mentioned a PSA a couple of weeks ago uh, with the, the dad who had been doing drugs, and I learned it by watching you, and we kind of talked about that. There was another PSA I, I remember, and it was a guy running, and he's running in slow motion. And as he's running, he kind of looks uh, beaten up, almost kind of homeless style. And, and the PSA says nobody ever wants to say they're going to grow up and become a junkie. And as a guy being arrested, and as he's being arrested, it's obviously showing that he's made some poor life choices that have made it that way. My brother, um, whose birthday was last week, died six years ago of a heroin overdose. So I see the choices that, that lead down this way, a wasted life. And Paul says, don't do that. As a matter of fact, the word reckless living means a wasted life. It's the same term that Jesus uses when he's talking about the prodigal son who took all the things from his father and went and wasted them on reckless living. He squandered them. Paul says, hey, don't. Don't do that. Be under the control of the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit, not under the control of these outside influences and outside substances. Well, what does that look like? How do we be filled with the Spirit? We, we let Him control us. That is the first thing. We mentioned it last week. We'll say it again today. To, to be filled is to be controlled. When someone is filled with anger, does anger control you? When, when we are filled with lust, does lust control our thinking when we're filled with envy or jealousy does envy or jealousy control us yes paul's saying don't let those things control you let the spirit control you it's actually not just let it it's a command he is commanding us to do this and he's expecting us to obey and i use the word us because it wasn't just some higher christian that's supposed to do it it is anybody who has accepted jesus christ as their savior this is the result of your life 
is to be filled with the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit means to be constantly controlled by the Spirit in our emotions, in our choices, and even in our will. The word filled doesn't just mean, though, to be controlled. It also means to be complete. To be complete. To be filled to the top with no room for anything else. Because if there's no room for anything else, that means you're not going to fill it up with stuff that you want. There's not room for you to make your desires be present. It's all about the Spirit. The verbiage also means the word constant. Constant. Yeah, by the way, I told you I grew up Baptist. We have three C words in a row here, okay? So we have, we have controlled, we have complete, we have constant. And as Paul writes this, he's saying, this is supposed to be a constant state of being. Very literally, it means to go on being filled with the Spirit. It's not a one-time deal. It's not, I got filled and that's going to last. It's a constant thing, a constant connection with the Spirit. And it's not just a constant connection, it's also submission. And I know that's an S word. And I looked it through the thesaurus to find a C word. And the only one I could find was compliant. And I didn't like that word. So I stuck with submission. Because submission just sounds better. It sounds where it's supposed to be. Because every single one of these things is about being commanded to do this. And we have a choice on whether we do it or not. We can either submit to the will of the Lord or we can choose to do our own thing. This filling is something that is done to us. It's not something we can do on our own. We are to be submissive and we're to be clean and ready and open for the filling of God. We're to be controlled, really dominated by the Spirit of God. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, I had a whole bunch of notes on the differences of denominational differences on what it means to be filled in the Spirit. I'm like, no, we're not going to do it that way. So we're just going to talk about this. We as Christians all get the Spirit when we become a Christian. We are baptized into the Spirit. So we have all of the Spirit. The question is, does the Spirit have all of you? Does the Spirit have all of you? And what would it look like if the Spirit has all of you? And my first thought is, is Galatians chapter 5. There's fruit. There will be fruit if the Spirit has all of you. If you go over to Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 25, they'll be up here on the screen behind me. It's a common passage about the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And I think even as we look at this passage, you're going to see things that tie over to Ephesians, as Paul wrote both letters to two different churches or two different church groups of people. We're going to see maybe Ephesians just a little bit different. Or maybe you might even see the fruit of the Spirit just a little bit different. Here's what it says starting in verse 19. Now the works of the flesh, which is our desires, our wants, our old heart. The, f- the works of the flesh are obvious. What are they? Well, things we've already talked about in Ephesians. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I am warning you about these things as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. We've seen this list before. As a matter of fact, this is a much more extensive list than he gave us in the book of Ephesians. But what is your old desires is listed right here. And it lists the outcome. It lists what it produces. These are the things that come from our lives. These are the things that drive us. These are the things that make your thinking go that way. How many times have you found yourself not filled with the Spirit and your mind drifts to that garbage? 
far too often in my own life. I will, I will be completely honest with you, and it's probably the same for you. I don't want to lump you into a stereotype, but my guess is that's the case. Great thing is, is there's that but word in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and there's this great word at the end, self-control. Do you know all those other things lack self-control? But the fruit of the Spirit is self-control, or one of the fruit there that we see. It says, the law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh and its passions and its desires. It's all dead. I don't want that stuff. I am in Christ. I am a new person. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Now again, I grew up conservative Baptist, so I'm not a dancer. But that's what it's talking about here. It's talking about you're in a dance with the Spirit. And you are not the lead. You're merely the one that is going along with the lead. Keep in step with the Spirit. So let's go back over to Ephesians chapter 5. And back in Ephesians chapter 5, you're going to see this fruit again, or something similar to it. It's an outflow of having the Spirit control our lives. It says this, I'll, I'll read the end of verse 18 again, but be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. In these verses, we see an outflow. And they really are five participles. Kids, anybody know what a participle is? You will in two weeks. Um, it is a word, basically an adjective that can be a verb that ends in I-N-G. And there are, are results that we're going to see here in the spirit of our lives. And it is speaking, singing, making, giving, and submitting. Those are the five participles. And if you want to break those two down into two groups, the outflow of the Spirit, if we are filled with the Spirit, there's going to be two things that happen. We're going to have renewed worship and we're going to have renewed relationships. Renewed worship and renewed relationships, which we'll actually carry over into the next couple of weeks as we continue to talk about Ephesians. And we continue to see how it affects these relationships. Marital relationships, parental relationships, workplace relationships. All of this comes as we submit and we are filled with the Spirit. So let's start off with that first part, that worship. When we think of the word worship, most of the time our mind goes to singing. Now this is our worship gathering. All of it is worship. Our lives are worship. But Paul is very specific here that he says it is singing in verse 19. Speaking to each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord. So within the idea of worship, Paul is being specific. We're making noise with our mouth. We are singing. Now, here's something. I always have weird thoughts come through my brain because that's just who I am. Have you ever thought about somebody who walks into a church for the very first time and we're just singing songs to this God? Is that just weird to anybody else? Like when you walked in, if I walked into an atheist church, and this is Tim Hawkins' fault that I even think about this, but if you walked into an atheist church, what are they singing to? They're just singing. They're feel-good songs, right? But why? Why do we sing those kind of things? Why, when we come into a church, are we singing? And really, we're singing people because God is too great to just be talked about. 
We are a singing people because we can't just think about how great he is. We can't just talk about how great his grace is. We need to feel it. We need to rejoice in it. We need to understand the joy, which again was another fruit, that is expressed in our singing. Please know that Christian joy is not some shallow emotion that rises and falls with the temperature of wherever or whatever you're going through. Joy is a deep experience of adequacy and confidence in our Lord, no matter what our circumstance. I think that the best way to probably describe joy is maybe in the idea of a thermometer versus a thermostat. What does a thermometer do? It bases itself on the temperature of the room. A thermostat controls the temperature of the room. Joy is more like a thermostat. Joy controls the temperature of the room. It controls the temperature of our our hearts because it doesn't matter what else is going on around us. We have joy in the Lord. We have joy in what He has done. Like Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly because once again you renewed your care for me. You were, in fact, concerned about me but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need for I have... Learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. Be content in whatever circumstance I find myself. Having joy in the Lord no matter what. People might think you're crazy. People might think, as they did with the time at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and filled the room and filled the hearts, that first big change. You know what people thought? They were drunk. Because they were so controlled by the Spirit that people couldn't quite understand what was going on. How can you react that way in this situation? Think about work or school. About that person that just has joy. Do you know that person? I hope that you're that person. But do you know that person? The person that just has joy. Even though Paul is actually talking about singing, those people have a song in their heart that affects their very lives. A song that affects their relationship with God, but also not just affects their relationship with God, it also affects their relationship with others. That's what this verse is saying. They were to speak to each other and sing to the Lord. The song has vertical implications and horizontal implications. Our relationship with God is affected. Our relationship with others is affected. It even has implications right here in this building. Think about this. When we gather together in corporate worship and sing our praises, you're praising God, but you're also ministering to each other. See, when you sing in corporate worship, we we have a, a responsibility to sing praise. We also have a responsibility to sing theology. Even as you know, Kyle introduced that song that it was an Easter song. Easter is every day. We praise God that God raised his son from the dead so that we could have life. That is an everyday thing. It's not just one Sunday in either March or April. It is something we do on a constant basis. No matter the season in our life, we share our joy as we praise. I think about my grandfather, and this is my grandfather on the other side of the family. He is the one that drug me to church in junior high. He is the one that made sure that I was involved and I was sitting. And we We're in a conservative church and I had to wear corduroy pants. I've shared that with you before. I wasn't allowed to wear jeans. He would be very upset with me right now at the fact that A, I have jeans on and probably other things as well. But that's the one we're going to point out. Here's the thing. He would 
stand next to me and he would sing hymns at the top of his lungs. And I would just stand there and I would watch and I would listen. Now, the listening part was actually tough. And the reason why is because he was tone deaf. And he was an awful singer. He was terrible. And, and he would be the first to admit it. But he didn't care. Because he wasn't singing for your benefit to make you think, hey, great, how I love the way his vibrato does. You know, he didn't care about any of that stuff. He was praising God for who he was and who he is and what he had done in his life. He was joyfully singing, just like that verse said, from his heart. It was a God, but it also affected me. I will tell you right now, I truly believe without his influence in my life, I would not be here today. The possibility that I end up like my brother is very highly likely from the background that I came from. People ask me all the time, how in the world would you become a pastor? I'm like, God, that's the only answer I got. That, that, that is it. Because somebody invested in me. And when that somebody shows me the joy of the Lord, it affected me. And those who are filled with the Spirit sing to Jesus because there's no one that is more worthy of our praise and adoration. Verse 20 then continues. It's not just about singing, but it's also about giving thanks. Thankfulness. Giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Spirit's filling leads to a constant gratitude to God. It's going to let you know if you listen to Christian music at all. We introduced a new song today, Phil Wickham. Next week we're going to introduce one by Brandon Lake called Gratitude. Love that song. As a matter of fact, I was listening to it yesterday and my daughter Mayla was like, why are we listening to this? I'm like, because I'm talking about it tomorrow and I've got to get my head right. The gratitude that is there for all that God has done. The thanksgiving, it's an essential part of our corporate worship. When you stop and think about it, it's a big part of all that we do. But, but even think about communion. Communion service is about giving thanks. Giving thanks should flow from a spirit-filled believer. Go back to chapter 1 through 3. When you really consider all that God has done for us, how can you not live with constant gratitude? How can we not? Well, we don't when we're not spirit-filled. When we let ourselves get in the way, because on my own, you know what I am? I'm a grumbler. And I'm a complainer. And I'm a powder. I'm a big baby. I mean, I'm just being flat honest because that is when I start getting down on myself and I stop relying on God to do what he does and I think I'm going to do it on my own, man, I turn into just a mess. Without God, I am a mess. And when I have him in my heart, I can tell. When I'm letting him flow through me, I can tell. I can tell that I'm not lacking joy and that I'm not lacking thanksgiving. And of course, that all brings us to the last participle. There's a bit of worship and a bit of relationship like the other ones. It's a tough word. A tough word that you're going to see over the next few weeks and it's a word that many people don't like and that is submitting. Submitting. Verse 21 says, Submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. The act of Submitting. It is the final effect of the Spirit's filling mentioned by Paul in this passage. With a primary focus on those renewed relationships. Again, I told you it's going to show up again in our marital, marital relationships. That submission is going to show up. 
That's always a fun one. Talk about submitting, hearing what the church has done to to abuse that verse. We'll be talking about that next week. Join us. It's going to be great. Parental relationships, vocational relationships. But here, you know where Paul starts it at? In the church. In the church between believers. We've already seen in our relationship with God, submitting to his will and his authority in all things changes us. But it's just as important in the church to use that same submission. And people struggle with this idea of submission primarily because it is completely the opposite of what the world's going to tell you. Because what the world and society is going to tell you is you must win. Not just win, you must dominate. You must stand up for your rights. You must be the person who screams and yells the loudest for the longest about everything so you can intimidate others in order to win. Paul says, nah, submit. The word submit means to arrange under. In this case, Paul's encouraging Christians within biblical relationships to let go of their selfish agendas and live in humble submission. To live in reverence for Christ. He's basically saying, we do this because Christ is our motive. He is our example, as a matter of fact. We submit to one another and serve one another in love because Christ is our ultimate authority and ultimate example. We belong to the kingdom. Who the king of our kingdom is? Christ. Out of submission to his rule, we gladly serve others with compassion. This is what spirit-filled, not me-filled life looks like. John Stott put it this way. The Holy Spirit is a humble spirit, and those who are truly filled with him always display the meekness and gentleness of Christ. It is one of their most evident characteristics that they submit to one another. That's a tough word. I struggle with it all week long. I finished this about 9 o'clock last night because I just kept putting it off. I'm like, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to talk about submission. I don't want to talk about beer. I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to talk about any of that stuff because I, I know there's going to be people who don't like what I have to say. So I have to ask this question. After the challenge has been laid out there by Paul, How's your walk? How's your life? What is your lifestyle? What, what does it look like? Are you controlled by your desires, by your flesh, by your wants that is listed in Galatians 5? Or are you controlled by the Spirit? Are you living the will of God because you've laid yourself down at the altar? Is Jesus your everything? Remember we said this. When you received Jesus is your Savior. You got all of Him. Now the question is, does He have all of you? Or does He just have compartments of your life? Do you have joy in Him? Are you rejoicing in song here and everywhere? Do you give thanks to Him for everything, both physical and eternal, that you have? Are you submitting in reverence to Him and to one another in relationships? These are all tough questions to ask. But it all comes back to, are you filled by the Spirit? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the word you brought. Thank you for all the things that you've challenged each and every one of us on as you spoke specifically to my heart even this week. As I look at myself trying to do things on my own, in my own power, and realizing how badly I fail at them. And on the flip side, God, when I'm filled with you, when I'm open and I'm ready and willing to submit to your will, 
and, and follow your lead, God, it changes everything. It changes the way I treat my wife. It changes the way I treat my kids. It changes the way I treat this church. God, I just want to be filled with you. I'm thankful for even the opportunity to be filled with the Spirit, but it's not just something that, that I, I get to do on Monday, and hopefully it lasts until the following Monday. It's something I have to do on a daily, moment-by-moment basis to allow you to lead. Even thinking about that last verse that we read in Galatians. Help me to keep in step with the Spirit as you lead. I pray this for myself because I'm being selfish. But I want to pray it over the church as well, God. God, as you're speaking to hearts and changing hearts and changing minds, God, may we let you lead and may we see the fruits show as it happens. I want to give you all the praise and all the glory. Pray it in your name. Amen. I'm